Good morning. All right. So turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab a Bible from the, from the seat in front of you if you don't have one, and we will start into, um, continue on with our Mark series here. We're, 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 we're looking today in this, this time, this, this, this window where, where Jesus is transfigured before some of his disciples. And we're going to look into what that looks like and what the meaning of that is and, and what's, what's kind of going on with that. Now, remember that Jesus has, has told his disciples who he is. Remember, they're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And we talked last week, it was about this whole idea about Jesus and him beginning to reveal um, his, who he was and, and, and talking about what the church was going to be. Remember, and he was, he was telling them right at, at what was literally the gates of Hades, in Caesarea Philippi, a, a, a temple to Pan, and he was beginning to tell them that, that look, I'm, I'm on this rock, on this rock, the very rock that you see around you that is, that is carved into a pagan temple, I am going to build my church on that rock. And, and, and so what he's saying is that his church is going to be built both on the statement of, of who he is, but also, too, it's going to be built in the middle of, of, of just all of the mess and all of the goings-on and even all of the places maybe that the disciples didn't even want to go or want to have to deal with. And he makes them, he tells them this thing. He says, look, that, that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, that the church is a powerful force, that, that it's the church that has, has brought change and, through the world. I, the, the church gets a bad rap, and sometimes rightly so. But, but there's a reality that, that the church and Christianity has brought change into this world on a level that, that, that's unprecedented. There, there's nothing out there that has brought the levels of change to the world around us that Jesus has brought, both in the way of women have been treated, the dignity that's been given to, the, to women, um, and, and just, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, just, just freedom and, and all kinds of things. And so, so, so Christianity has been this force and the promise is, is that the gates of, of Hades will not ever prevail against it. So Jesus has shown them who he is. He's, he's shown them by the power of his works, by his miraculous deeds. He's told them who he is, that he's the Messiah. He's the one to come. And he's told them what his mission is, that he's come to die, to pay the penalty for sin, to make a way for, for, for sinful human beings to have a relationship with a holy and perfect God. And so um, now he's going to give them kind of this glimpse of, of, of what the future looks like. He's going to show them himself in this transfigured, um, glorified state. <laughs> so let's look into it. <clears throat> Chapter 9, verse 1, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And, and, and so... Jesus is saying to them, to, to these few, that, that there are some of you that are going to come, that very soon here, you're going to see what the kingdom is going to look like in power. And, and, and so there's, there's a power that comes with this kingdom, and, 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 and God has made you and I, we have been made a kingdom, part of his kingdom, his kingdom that is here. Um, and we're to be a kingdom-minded people. We're to be a people remembering that we, we have a higher calling on our lives. We have a higher purpose for our lives and why we're living our lives. We're not to be sucked into the mundane things of this world. We're not to be living our lives like there's some permanence here in this world, but with an expectation of the reality of what's to come. 
And so he's going to give them this glimpse of the future. And, and, it, and so it says that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So <clears throat> it's a six days. And, and this number is significant. The number six is often we see it in the Bible. And when we see it, we can just about bet that it, it, it has significance to it. It's not just a random number. Six is this idea of incompleteness. It, it's, it's the idea of awaiting fulfillment. Um, Man's number is six. Man was created on the sixth day. He was given six days for work. Um, there's the, all of these sixes that are associated with um, humanity. Throughout the Bible, we see sixes in this idea of sixes and then a completion. So six, if, if, if man's number is six, six plus the one true God equals seven, which is a number of perfection and completion. Um, so we see this throughout the Bible. We see that God, man is given six days to work and then one day of rest to complete a perfect cycle. We see that you plant the land for six years and then one year of it being fallowed becomes the year of jubilee and the year of renewal. <clears throat> for six days, the armies of Israel marched around Jericho one time a day. And then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, and when the priests blew their horns, all of the army shouted and the walls imploded. Um, and so this six is significant, and so Jesus is, is giving them this picture of, but, but not complete picture at this point. It's a glimpse of what's to come. <clears throat> so he takes them up a high mountain. Remember, they're in the region of Caesarea Philippi, so we can rightly maybe assume that he's taken them to now to the top of Mount Hermon, which at the base of Mount Hermon is this, this temple to Pan and all of this pagan stuff and, and fertility rites and all kinds of just stuff that's going on that's just kind of really, um, really messed up. There's a lot of sacrifices. There's child sacrifice that's going on. There's just a lot of really ugly things that are happening there. And he takes them now to the top and shows them over the top of all of this, basically, who he is and, and what he's what he's, who he truly is, and gives them this glimpse of this glorified state. And it says that he was transfigured before them. Now, now the idea of being transfigured, the, the word there, the, the Greek word is metamorphosi, and, and it's this idea of being changed from the inside out. It, it's the opposite of the word masquerade, which would be to be kind of changed externally, kind of a thing, or to masquerade as something. This is to be metamorphosed into something new. This is to be um, just completely transfigured from the inside out. This is the same word that is used in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And I want to encourage us in this, and in this whole concept of, of being metamorphosed, of, of, of the idea of like the caterpillar going into the cocoon and coming out something completely new, because this is the heart of the gospel. And this is the heart of, the, of what God's people have to get a hold of and to understand and to, 
to really know and believe on in the culture and in the world that we live in today is that God can change anybody from, from any place, any state that they're in, any struggle that they're in, any confusion that they've got in their mind, anything that's happening around them, he makes a new creation. This is what God does. The day that I don't believe that is the day I just go to the mountain on Sundays and I don't show up because I have nothing to say the day that I don't believe that. It's everything about the gospel that God creates in us something new, that he makes a new creation. Out of what was old and broken, God is the redeemer. He's the one who restores things back to the original intention. It's the overarching story of the Bible is that God created all things perfect and, and well and good, and he created us for eternity with him and relationship with him, and that was broken through sin. And in the middle of the story, we see the cross, this pathway back, but at the end of the story, we see the, we see the redemption of Eden. We see the restoration of Eden. We see, we see a God who makes all things right once again, who redeems all things and restores them back to the original intention. So church, the answer is always Jesus. To whatever's going on out there, whatever your struggle is in here today, whatever you're, you're dealing with, whatever other people are dealing with, the people that you know, your family, whatever that is, the answer is Jesus and his restorative process, his redemptive work in our lives. The reality that he makes old new, that he takes what's broken and he fixes it. He has a, a ministry of redemption, a ministry of of, uh, of healing, a, a ministry of taking and casting out what was wrong in our lives and recreating in us something new and beautiful. It's also the word, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the way to it, right? Is that we, we have our minds renewed. The reality of you and I is that our minds have been so influenced by the world around us, by the culture around us, that we've come to believe things that just are not true. And the solution, the way out of that is to begin to agree with God's word, to begin to get into God's word, to allow God's word to change us, to wash over us, to, to begin to restore us into a place of what is right. And honestly, if you don't believe me in that, just take a look at the world around us and ask this question, how they doing? How's the world doing? But, but then we got to look inside the church and we got to say, how are we doing? Right? And the reason sometimes we're getting the same results as the world out there is because we're believing the things that the world is believing. We're doing the things that the world is doing. We're doing them the same way. We're not being set apart. We're not being a holy people seeking his ways above our thoughts and our ways. We, 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 we're doing relationships the same way as the world. And guess what? No surprise, we're getting the same results as the world. Within the church, the church should be able to put on display some of these things, some of the goodness of God, marriage, family, all of these kinds of things. We've got to become, we've got to get back to the place to where we are able to put on display the principles 
and the things that God has made foundational in the world around us. And the way that we do that is allowing God's word to change us. Not just Sunday, not coming and listening to a sermon, it's not going to be enough. As a matter of fact, the reality of it is, is that most people are going to forget by next week what I said today. That's the truth. It just is. And I get that. There are times where, you know, I mean, this is important, it's meaningful, I'm not saying it's not, but what's really going to be meaningful to you is you getting together with other believers and getting into God's Word and spending time on your own in God's Word and allowing God and the Holy Spirit to teach you what He wants to teach you, to to change your mind, to to renew your mind, to wash away some of these things, to, to get other people and to put yourself into relationships with other people that will challenge what you're thinking. It's crucial. So, moving on. Give me all preaching here. I'm going to start spitting and yelling in a second. <laughs> so Jesus is, is turned. There's this radiance within Jesus. Everything is just intensely white. No one on earth could ever turn even his garments as white as they become. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And, and so now we see... The entrance of all of a sudden, Elijah and Moses now show up, and Elijah and Moses are representative of things, right? Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. The law and the prophets and the gospel are now united in this kind of trinity kind of a thing that we see here. And, and, and so um, <clears throat> we have the word, we have the gospel, we have, we have Elijah and Moses there, and, and all of this stuff is going on in this radiance, in this glory, and, and Peter is there, and, and so he, he naturally, of course, Peter would, he says, well, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, right? So he's scared to death. But he can't keep this thing quiet, right, which is just good advice right there. You know, when we're, when we're scared and we don't know what to do, usually it's best just to kind of keep our mouths shut. But what does he do? He says, man, it's good that we're here. We need to build a, 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 a tabernacle for each one of you here. And, and it's almost like he's putting each one of them on equal footing. We'll build one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for the law, one for the prophets, and one for Jesus, the Messiah. Right? And we'll, we'll kind of put those things a little bit on equal terms. And then this cloud, it says, overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. It's an amazing thing that, that even with this, it's pretty cool that I think that Moses gets to be here in this thing. What does this mean to us? Well, well, for one thing, Moses, Moses asked God if he could see his glory, right? He, he asked God, he said, show me your glory. And God said, okay, here's the deal. You can't actually behold all of it. You, you can't see it all because it would just kill you. But I tell you what, as I'm passing by, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to let you just see just a glimpse of it. But here, Moses gets to see what really ultimately is the, the ultimate glory of God. The, the Messiah, the, the Jesus is this. He's the glory of God. He's the he's exact representation 
of, and it, Moses gets to be there. And the other cool thing about this is that Moses and Elijah are there, which gives us what it gives us, hope, right? We know that Moses died in the Bible. Now, Elijah didn't, and we'll talk about that in a second, but Moses died. But yet, where is he? He's with Jesus here, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see, all of this is about a hope. It's about a hope that we're to set our eyes towards. It's about a hope that's bigger than what this world is. It's, it's a, it needs to become the perspective of the church. And, and the struggle with the perspective of the church is that we really don't understand heaven. We really don't get it. We think that it's some far off place and it's nebulous thing and we somehow are going to be in an eternal worship service sitting on a cloud strumming a harp like a little fat cherub or something and, <clears throat> and our minds can't comprehend that. Our minds can't relate to that. Why? Because it's completely foreign to our experience. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is beginning to reveal to them and show them. You see, see Jesus is trans, being transfigured into his glory what his glorified state is going to look like, which also is our hope that this is also going to be yours and mine. It's going to be our state as well one day that, that, that we will also be glorified in that, that one day you will get a glorified version 2.0 body. And the older I get, the more that I start to go, wow, that's looking better and better all the time, you know? Which is, I think, actually God's grace is that as we get older, Things quit working, which get you ready to leave this place and go on to the next one. It just does. At a certain place, you're like, I'm ready. Let's just go. But you see, then this cloud overshadowed them, and, and this is always the picture of the glory, the fullness of the glory of God that cannot be held, be held by human eyes. It will just kill us. That, that, that every time when this cloud comes, um, we, we see that the presence and the glory of God is kind of shielded or put behind this cloud. When, when Moses went to Mount Sinai, we saw that this, this cloud descends over Mount Sinai for six days, and it shields the glory of God. That's what a cloud does. You know, you can't look directly at the sun. It'll ruin your eyes, but if there's a cloud between you and the sun, you can look right there. It becomes this thing that, that, that shields. And even the tabernacle, there was, a, there was a cloud that descended over it as the glory of God came into the tabernacle. And this, so this cloud comes and it, it blots out the fullness, the wholeness of the glory of God that one day, I believe, we'll, we'll fully be able to see in that 2.0 body. But for now, it, it's still shielded by that cloud But you see that, that Jesus, that the, through, out of the cloud, we hear this voice, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. This is my beloved son, listen to him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. The prayer, the Shema that the, the people of Israel recite in the morning and the evening, for in Hebrew, there's no differentiation between hearing and doing. If one doesn't do or follow through or apply, they did not hear. There is no hearing without the doing. 
We get this. I mean, that's what you do with your kids, right? When your kids, if you're parenting and your kid doesn't do something that you've told them to do, what do you say? Did you hear me? Listen to me. And it has this connotation that if you hear me or if you're listening to me, then you would follow through and you would do the things that I'm calling you to do. So God here is telling us not just to listen to him, but to follow through with what he tells us to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's just evidence of the reality of our relationship. That if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. Will you do that perfectly? No, you won't. But it will become the trajectory and the aim of your heart and your life is to, is to live that out, is to, is to follow the things that God is calling us to do. So Jesus, so now what we have is that Peter is like, man, let's, let's build a tabernacle for each one of them. But now those guys are gone and it's Jesus and it's Jesus alone. And they're left looking at just Jesus. The law is gone, the prophets are gone, and it's just Jesus here. And anything that gets in the way of Jesus is out of place and it's out of step. Any practice that we would have, any prophetic thing, any, any following of commandments, any legalistic thing, anything that begins to take priority over Jesus moves us in our faith in a wrong direction. It's always Jesus. Everything should have the focus of Jesus. And so now the disciples are, are left and they're, they're looking at Jesus and there's now no longer Moses, no longer Elijah. And then it says, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. So it's the resurrection ultimately that is going to give real meaning to them. This, this picture, this glimpse that they had of the transfiguration, should I say, is going to give them a whole new understanding of the resurrection. At this point, they're, they're struggling with this idea of the resurrection. What does it mean to come back to life? Well, it means something very different. If it means to just come back to life like we are, that's not such a great thing. But if it means to come back to life in something a little different, a body that is not no longer is subject to decay, no longer subject to the second law of thermodynamics, it's, it, it, it's now a body that is freed from that state. But hey, let's remember, it is nonetheless a physical body. See, Jesus forever now dwells in a physical body. We were always created to live in a physical body. In Genesis, God first created a body, and then it says that he breathed into it a soul, and then it became a living being. So again, this idea of heaven isn't this idea where we're separated from our body and we now live in some spirit form. That is not the picture. The restoration of Eden is the return of what originally was intended and you and I were always intended to live in a body, both spiritually, a, a spiritual and a physical existence is how we live. And one day, we will live that to the fullness. And this is what Jesus is kind of showing them as he gives them the fullness of, of this whole picture of who he is, what he's come to do, and where we're headed. Because those are the big questions in life, right? 
where did I come from, right? Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Those are the four big questions of life that everybody is asking. And, and Jesus is, is beginning to give them a glimpse and some help with that. Then they asked him, they said, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Now, I'm going to back up just a little bit here really quick, and I want to talk about one thing that is really the big miracle here is not just the idea that Jesus came and was glorified, but what's really the big miracle, Spurgeon talks about this, is that he existed in the form of a man for 33 years. In, in theology, they call it the kenosis, but it's this idea that God poured himself out and became a man. Philippians 2, 6 through 9, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And so all of this stuff is going on, and the disciples are struggling. They're like, what is with this? And well, I thought Elijah was going to come first and all of this kind of stuff. And how does that work? And the reason that they thought that was this is that in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so, so the Jewish people are believing that Elijah is going to literally come back and, and that he's going to be the one who is the predecessor to the Messiah. As a matter of fact, if you went today to a Jewish Seder meal or their Passover meal, they would leave an open chair for Elijah to return and usher in the Messiah. Um, and so, so there's this confusion with Elijah. Luke 1, 13 through 17, is, is this uh, where the angel visits and, and tells Zechariah and his wife about John the Baptist and, and what he is going to do. And it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go, go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And so this is John's mission John is, 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 is given this thing, and, and this angel is telling them, look, the prophecy in, the prophecy in Malachi is going to be fulfilled in the person of John, that he's going in the power and the spirit of Elijah. So John and Elijah had a lot in common. As a matter of fact, they both dressed a lot alike. They both kind of wore these animal skins. They both uh, ministered out in the, and, and preached out in the, in the wilderness, 
They both um, came in opposition against kings. Elijah came against Ahab, and, um, and John the Baptist came against Herod. And they both made enemies in high places, namely the wives of those guys. Jezebel came after Elijah and, uh, and Herod and uh, Herod's wife. Um, what's that? Herodias, thank you, came after, uh, came after John the Baptist. And, and so, so there's a lot of similarities in this. Jesus goes on to tell us in Mark 124, or as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so this is out of, out of Isaiah chapter 40. And I want to read this chapter to you. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, hear herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth is in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compares to him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. Who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot? He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Have you not, do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of earth as emptiness." Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name? By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, no one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is desired, is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. See, John, John didn't really get it. John 1, 19, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Jesus says this about John, Matthew 11 for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. You know, Jesus said about John, he said he, uh, of those born of women that, that he is the greatest. But John didn't really see it in himself. John, John didn't really get that. He's, they came, they said, well, who are you? Are the, I'm not the Christ, I'm, I'm not Elijah, are you a prophet? No, really none of those things. But see, Jesus saw something in John that John didn't see. And maybe that's the case for you today. Maybe you're in a ministry. Maybe you're doing something. Maybe you're influencing somebody or talking to somebody, and it just doesn't seem like it's much. But you see, it's this God who, 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 who is able to do these things. It's this God who is, who is all-powerful. It's this God whose strength is perfected in our weakness. And it was John whose ministry paved the way for Jesus as he came. What an amazing thought to, to think that just like John, that we too have been given the opportunity to pave the way for the Holy Spirit to come into somebody's life, to, to, to come and to know Jesus. You may be that very pathway, that, that as you go out and you, you interact with the world, your workers or, or people you work with or your neighbors or your family or whatever that is, is that, is that God may use you to be that, to prepare the way for the Lord to come. finish up here, we'll look at a couple of things. Second Peter, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were wit eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by, the, by that majestic glory, this is my beloved son whom, with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Just prior to this, Peter was talking about his imminent death, that the Lord had told him that he was about to go to his death. And where does he go next? He goes right into this and he goes into this recognition of that, I know where I'm going, that there's a morning star that, that, that is going to rise and one day I'm going to be glorified because I was there and I saw it. I saw him. <clears throat> In John 17, Jesus says this. It's his prayer to us. We, we did this a while back. We broke from Mark and, and right after Easter, we went through this prayer with the other churches in town. 
But, but it says that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It says here that, that the glory that... Jesus had that he gave to the church. And, and what is this idea about glory, glory? It seems like, what is, is God a glory monger? What's, what's the deal with this? But, but glory is simply to make him famous. It, it, it's simply that to be given the glory of God is to point to Jesus in your life, is to give him, to make him famous to the world around. And this is his heart, is that we would be one. When we see Jesus raise up Lazarus, he says this, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, the ultimate glory of God is going to be that day when he calls everyone out of the grave. And his glory is shown. And here we see this, and it's associated that this, this vision and this seeing of the glory of God with the idea of resurrection of a human being here. See, finally, Revelation 21 tells us this. It says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine, and this is, this is heaven. This is, this is when, when, when heaven comes and meets the new earth, and all things are brought back into their rightful place. And it says that there's no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and by the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what it is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and so this is the promise. This, is the, this needs to be the vision that we have for our lives. We, we see this, this future glory, this, this future place, this place where God brings it all back in, this place of heaven, where all things are restored, where, where, where humanity goes out just like we were meant to, and we, we take everything about who we are, our intellect and, and our abilities and our talents and our treasure and whatever, and we spend it on one another. And we make sure always that, that everything and every decision that is done is done for the best for everyone. And to live in that, in that place where, where it's just about the glory of God and this is where we're headed and this is our job and our task is to take as many people with us there as we can. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, metamorphosed, changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit.
Honestly, until we as the church, as God's people, begin to grasp this and get a hold of this idea, as we begin to, to really just kind of reject the things in a way that just don't matter and really begin to grasp onto the things that do matter, the things recognizing the difference between what's temporal and the things that are eternal. And we change our perspective and we change how we live and what we're living for as we recognize the high calling that's on our lives. You see, until we get a greater vision for our lives, we will be content to satisfy ourselves on the crumbs of this world instead of feasting at his table. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you give us a vision of who you are, of your grandeur, of your beauty, your glorified state. And you assure us and you tell us that, that one day that if we're in Christ, if we've said yes to you, if we're in a relationship to you, Jesus, that that is our eternal destiny as well, that that is our, that is our place and that that is our hope. So Lord, may we again, may we just be a people who are, who are living not for the things of this world. May we be a people who are allowing your word to transform us, to metamorphose our brains, to, to renew our minds to bring us into agreement with your will. May we recognize the reality of who we truly are, what is our identity. Our identity is a new creation in you, that, that, we are, um, that we're purchased by you, that we're loved by you, that we're created in your image, that you've made us just right and just exactly how you would have us to be, and that you have a ministry and a plan and a destiny for us. So Lord, may we not be caught up in the short-term things of this world, may we set our vision and our sights for what's to come. May we live in the light of the glory of the resurrection, the hope of the believer. And may we also recognize that the gospel is the message and the hope for the unbeliever. And may we join with you in your great commission. May we, may we be a people who seek the lost, who, who seek to share the hope that's, that's in you. May we tell the world about the change and the, the, the metamorphosis that is possible in Jesus, that you make new creations, that you don't just save us, but that you change us from the inside out. And we thank you that each one of us who's in you this day, all of that belong to you and the church are being changed day by day by you from glory to glory. And we look forward to the day, Lord, when it's all done, when it's all said and done. And you give us the, the desires of our heart, the place in heaven that you've reserved for each one of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.